The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. I don't know why I said, okay, let's go, because this is supposed to be the cold open part where, we, uh, where we're still chatting. You've been doing this how long? Look, it was a long week. Oh, that's all. That's all I'll say. The energy in Murph has been <laughs> not great this week. So until today, after mm-hmm. our exam, <laughs> getting that message in the group chat of from an M two that's in our like M one PA one group chat of just like, hey, so I came back into Murph today. The vibe here isn't great. Like <laughs> you guys, like you're gonna be good. I understand that this is tough. I understand it's stressful. That's so but, sweet like, though. It was happy. Yeah. He, oh, of yeah, course. It, we got like a paragraph on like a Tuesday afternoon, and it was needed. Yeah, but yeah, the it really energy, hit the mark. The energy in the building <laughs> is far better now. Well, I'm glad we made it. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. It's a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler, with me in the SCP studio. She's recently removed her nose from the med school grindstone. It's M1 Faith Prohaska. What do you mean I've removed my nose from the grindstone? The grindstone doesn't stop. I, well, I mean, just temporarily. A little bit. Temporarily. Switch to a different grindstone, yeah. I think is more accurate. She has picked herself up, dusted herself off, and is ready to be done for the week. It's PA1 Kelsey Porter. Hello. Happy to be here. Just finished a long day pushing boulders uphill. It's M3 Rick Gardner. How's it going, homies? And she's just about done putting in 110%. It's M4 Ananya Munjal. Hello. Kelsey. Porter, PA1, first time on the show? It is. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, absolutely. I am from St. Paul, Minnesota. I went to McAllister College there in St. Paul, and I actually wasn't sure about medicine for a while. I was interested, but I was unconvinced. So I actually went out to Boston and worked in education for a couple years, did some soul searching out there, and decided I did not want to be a doctor, but I wanted to be a PA. So then I started working in healthcare and ended up coming here to Iowa for PA school. So it's been a lot of work, but it's been really great to be here as well. Cool. Well, thanks for gracing us with your presence for the first time. Appreciate that. Absolutely. I feel like this is a good time to talk about the fact that uh, medical school is a bit of a transformative experience. At least we would hope so. Just not a, that you were bad before. Not that yeah. you were bad before or anything like that. The process of going from not doctor to doctor is difficult it's sometimes wonderful sometimes awful same with pas i imagine maybe a little bit less so since you guys aren't tortured for quite as long yeah more of a middle distance race than a marathon i would say but it does tend to change a person no matter what um and on today's show i wanted to know maybe some get some ideas about how you might have changed since you arrived here all fresh-faced and excited i'm gonna start with i think i'm gonna start with our upper class folks because I feel like you might have had the most opportunities to have your shit adjusted. Adjusted it do be. Since starting. Any thoughts about the changes that you've seen in yourself to start off with? Oh, golly. Ananya, do you want to go first? I think, I think, okay, I'll, for starters, I'm like in a research year right now. So I think my perspective has 
evolved, let's say, a little bit more even. I think when I first entered med school, this was, I think, like, the application process and et cetera, et cetera, makes it so that this was, like, my whole entire life. And I remember, like, M1 year into M2 year into, like, clinicals, it was very much, like, this is not a part of my life. Like, this is my life. Like, every minute of my day, if I'm not literally just working out or eating, will be, like, something related to medical school, whether it be, like, obviously, you do a whole long day of, like, rotations, and then you come home and you do research, and then you do your extra cricks if you have time for that. And so I think that was, like, a very large part. That was, like, all my whole entire life for until I think I, like, left for this research year. And I think now, when, like, what I will take from this when I return is I think now I feel like I lived a much more balanced life. And I think it was, frankly, just like a matter of being extraordinarily burnt out after I finished my core year. And I think what's changed is that I just don't think this is like a sustainable... I think what we all do is like very unsustainable. I think it obviously promotes burnout and like it promotes like huge amounts of depression in residents and attendings and like i think the biggest shift that i've seen through this training is just like having to cognitively work yourself out of that pattern so yeah so i think the biggest shift i've seen in myself and i know i'm speaking from like a little bit of a removed perspective right now is just that it's like so necessary to be balanced and it's so necessary to like make time for seeing people or even just like going home and closing the computer and like not just spending 24/7 wrapped up in what will event what will allow you to wrap yourself up in i think it like this career will really like expand to fill the space that you give it so i think it's that's been like an important lesson for me I definitely feel that. Yeah, you hit on a lot of things where it's like one M2 year when you're grinding through preclinicals and you are then in the hospital working. For some people, that might be M3 year. Yeah, definitely the burnout is real because and I, I started in COVID, so there was even less to do. Like all you felt like you had in front of you was medicine and like I need to grab every piece of information to make myself the best future healthcare provider there is. And at least for me, that was the case also in undergrad is you just you're trying to do so much to get into the next level focusing on the next level while you're in the level before and to that point yeah burnout is definitely real i felt it on this rotations and definitely studying for the licensing exams that we take and through that i've like shifted my lens of like what is important to me is it studying all day or is it getting as much as i can learning in a way that's healthy for my me and my brain my like biopsychosocial model. I don't know if that's the best way to put that. Oh, that's um, fancy though. Uh, that's I, great. I might have learned something. Who knows? So, and then like focusing on like doing the things that are important to me. Like I've traveled more in medical school than I ever did in undergrad, despite being in significantly more debt. I've lived life fuller. I've also worked a ton harder. And I feel like because of that, the f- I have to reward myself and my hard work. So I definitely feel like I, that was a come to moment for me. Yeah. Does that ring any for you, M1s? Does that ring any sort of bells? Not bells. I don't like that. I I don't like that. Does it resonate? Does this resonate? Yes. Thank you. I think it does. I think, kind of in contrast, it's been a lot of hearing from more senior students being like, do not, like, you are doing great. You are working as hard as you possibly can. You deserve, like, praise for that. I commend you for that. But, like, you also need to stop. Like, you need to. don't let yourself get to it's been a lot more like don't let yourself get as bad as i got and so you're trying to look at other people who are where you want to be and hear them say don't do what i did but you're like but it got you there but they're like but that was not a good it's so hard it must be hard to take the advice 
Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Makes sense. And none of us like want to get burnt out. Nobody's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is like what I want to do with these four, like these four to, I guess for me, like eight years of my life. But it's. Well, you have this, you're going to have this built in mm-hmm. sort of. Yeah. break can you call a phd a break I, well you get to get burned on in a different call, yeah. way you can't call it a break and what i've noticed is that you get to well roasted on all sides yeah but what i've noticed is that once for a lot of md phds once they get into the phd phase mm-hmm. they can live life a little bit more slowly while they yeah while from they, what i've heard from them it goes from being this like like being like pulled along by the current that is med school of everything's moving like admin the courses keep going by you you're going through it whether or not you're keeping up or you're drowning like it's continuing to go by whereas a phd is a little bit more self-guided like you you are rowing the boat you're not caught up in the storm so if if something happens and you need to re-gear for a little bit that's between you and your mentor if an experiment's not working it's not the you keep getting more and more behind on results. It's okay. Let's troubleshoot this. This is part of the process. But then I get the feeling that it sort of comes back to that feeling of internal pressure where, where you're, eventually yeah. you get towards six yeah. or seven and you're like, okay, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to, yeah. got to get the results I always dreamed of. Or if I don't get those results, I'm going to be very sad. And people that I know that have defended are just as much as they want to get done. They are itching to get back yeah. into clinic. Yeah. And that's like that internal driver. But it's, I think we get a lot of, because admin recognizes, and I love our administration, shout out Pam and Steven Lindo. Like you guys save me on a daily basis they recognize that this like we're in it for the long haul so they stop us or try and stop us or yell at us as we are ignoring every warning that we're getting to calm down take a step back and not let ourselves get that bad because it's not going to stop so you have Mm -hmm. to make it i think one of the hardest things in our first year is shifting our definitions of success and achievement in the classroom and what it means to be thorough. Because for all of us to get into med school, to get into PA school, it was you have to learn everything in your undergrad biology and chemistry classes. You have to get 90s and 100s. That's that's the bar to get into school. Because it usually, they do a holistic application process and all that, but ultimately you have to be really good at school and you know that. And so you've trained yourself to be just like a machine. And then you get here and now you're hearing from upperclassmen, you're actually looking at the rest of your life and you can't be a machine for the rest of your life that just learns things and that's all you do. So for a lot of us, passing our classes is getting like a 75 to 80% depending on the class. And that's very uncomfortable. It's such a new mindset. We've trained our brains so well to look for that super thorough, super dedicated work ethic. And that benefits us, but I think it's also our Achilles heel because as much as you hear people say, oh, I only need to pass, I'm fine. You know that in the back of their in the back of their mind, they're like, but I could do better if I just worked a little harder. And so I think a lot of us, it's actually more competing with ourselves and our past definitions of success. Like, I don't personally feel a lot of competition with classmates so much as just, well, what if I studied an extra hour? What would that do for me? And so you just kind of have to find your own definition of success and what that means to you. And I think a lot of us kind of know when we're reaching our limits. Like, I can tell if my brain is no longer taking in any new information on a given night and that's my cue to stop and to tone it down. So I think the upperclassmen do a great job of trying to tell us these things and that I also think a lot of us need to learn by trial and error. So it's kind of this balance of trying to incorporate that wisdom and also figuring out some people just have really high endurance and they can study 10 hours straight. Most people, it's like a few hours and then you probably need a break. So just trying to find that rhythm and find it in a way that's sustainable. So maybe by the time we get to 
I guess PAs were done in a few years, but especially for med students, by the time you get to that third, fourth, fifth year, you're not completely burning out. I, you have said something that I say often, which is it's important to define your own measure of success because people will push measurements on you. And the fact that there's grades is one of those ways that people push that on you. People will say, well, you got to get a whatever it is now, 270 on your, on this, that, or the other thing. But all of those are external measures and they all serve to put pressure on you. If you take the time to figure out what it means to be successful for you and for your future, then that also has the effect of giving you something that's more personal to strive for rather than some external. So I like that. I like, I like that you agree with me. <laughs> I like that. I definitely think that's true, <clears throat> that your focus on what is important and what the measure of success is changes. Because even as you go through your different from courses to stages of your training so whether it be like one exam to the next like oh it's a cards exam versus a gi exam or it's i'm going from the preclinical realm to the realm where i work every day and then have to still come home and study your definition of success definitely is going to change and then like you get to dedicate you get to advance like what's important to you when you go home every night and what what makes you feel accomplished that you know you did the right thing, whatever that looks like. So for me, it's like coming home and studying is like, if I can get through like 10 or 15 U world questions, that would be good because I did something on top of already working a full day, exerting myself like mentally, physically from standing. And then like just trying to like also be socially present and know that like you're constantly being evaluated. Like all those metrics definitely weigh on you and change how you view success. I was, I wanted to like follow up on something that both Rick and Kelsey kind of mentioned, like this idea of like levels, like Kelsey was talking about how like you have a different metric for yourself when you're in college versus like how you have to reframe your mind now. And like Rick was kind of talking about how there's like different through each stage. And I think like the thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently, it's just like, there's really no end. Like if you wanted to do this forever, you could conceivably do this forever. Like EP, one of my friends wants to do like EP fellowship, which is straight up like nine years of residency after med school. So I do think it's like- EP, Physiology? No, sorry. So first, like this is just an example, but it's like three years of IM and then three years of cardiology and then three years of electrophysiology, which is like wonderful because we need those people. But I guess like the point being that like it's kind of like we were talking about just to reinforce that it's so important to do this early because we just keep training and training. And like, if you don't do this early, then, you know, suddenly your definition for what 12 years, 15 years has your definition of success has been like getting the best grades or like having the most accolades. Whereas like you can reframe that for yourself and being like, you can, I mean, like I've done it. You have to like reframe and be like, my definition of success is that like, I was able to like eat a good meal and like see my friends and family and like work out today. And I also did 15 year old questions versus like, I did nothing but come home, sit down and like do 80. I don't know. I think it's just like a, it's like a real challenge because this like system rewards us for like the academic benefit. But I think it's important to like remind yourself that you're a full person beyond just like your exam score, et cetera, et cetera. Short Coats, we love to hear from you, no matter what it's about. So call us at 347-SHORT-CT with questions, shower thoughts, complaints about your situation, whatever you like. We'll talk about it on the show. What did you admire about this profession coming in and has that changed? I think 
I'm going to like flip this and use a counter question. Like people sometimes ask like, what would you do if you weren't doing medicine? And I feel like for me, it's still something service oriented. And I think that's like, ultimately it's like, I enjoy working for the benefit of others. I enjoy the fact that I get to be like intellectually stimulated while doing it. Like using my, I think my, one of my greatest skills and my talents to benefit others in a way that like, is just like fits my personality quirks. I think that's for me is like what medicine is like awesome about. I think one thing I picked up on from providers that I shadowed that I really loved watching in action was their ability to make people feel seen and heard. Obviously, medicine is about more than that. You're also working with them to solve some sort of concrete problem, probably multiple problems. But I think there's just few spaces in the world right now where a human will sit across from you and like listen to you deeply maybe even try and help you fix something. I think it's like, it's very hard to do, but I think it's a really beautiful goal. And so when I would be in a room with someone and I could tell that the provider and the patient were both just locked into the conversation and the patient could tell that this person cared about them and had their best interests in mind, it seems so simple, but I think in some ways that's actually the hardest part of medicine. And I think things like burnout or just getting really jaded over time and just the weight that providers carry can really start to chew away at that process and make kind of suck the joy and the life out of that process. So when I see a provider that still gets energized from their patients and also energizes their patients when it's kind of this reciprocal energy in the room, I have huge admiration for that. And I often ask them, like, how do you keep that (laughs) as a part of what you do? Because my dream would be that 20, 30 years from now, I still have some of that, too. It's probably not realistic to have that every day. But I think I shadowed enough doctors and PAs that I recognized for a lot of people that just really fades over time. And so I think one thing I really admire is trying to keep that alive, just that sense of humanity and that sense of really making someone feel that they're being seen as a full person. We all get those stories of like a doctor that didn't listen to them and totally Mm -hmm. talked over them and like seemed cold hearted and didn't care. And I think coming into medicine, there's this almost this feeling of needing to fight against that. But then being in clinic and being able to like through our ECs and everything, knowing that like, we are not alone in that fight and we are being prepared for that through all of our coursework and everything. And it's not as much fighting against the system as it's getting those few people that are just perpetuating that out of the system. Like the system as a whole is good and is trending better. This is yeah. a very like optimistic take, but it's yeah. necessary. It's not completely well, unfounded. I mean, no. there I've talked about a recent study on the show where basically quality of life issues have gotten better in the last last 13 years or so for um for younger physicians and so that's Mm -hmm. important because then you can adequately help other people focus on their quality Mm -hmm. of life i mean it just makes sense yeah and i think to faith's point having role models like our professors our providers who do our early clinical experiences are people who do still care and are trying to seek out the highest quality of interactions and so i Mm -hmm. think we're sort of learning from like the best of the best and i think that helps push against some of the toxicity or the hard days that happen in in the real world. I think we'll encounter plenty of that, but I think we're put in a position here at Iowa and I'm sure in many Mm -hmm. healthcare programs where you're really able to build some of those skills and build that resilience. So hopefully it is trending in in the right direction. You mentioned, Kelsey, being able to focus fully on a patient and have them be seen. Do you think it's, do you guys think it's easier for PAs to do that than MDs or are they about the same? 
Probably it depends on the practice setting, I think. If you're having to see, at one point I was on my family med rotation, and my provider and I were seeing like 15 patients each in the morning, like over four hours, maybe a little bit during lunch. Like, yeah, I didn't spend as much time with them. It was get in, get out, like just take care of the thing that they're there for and like provide them the care that they're desiring versus like they probably weren't heard as much if you're going in and like i want to be an anesthesiologist so i'm going to spend like four hours with my patient albeit they're probably not talking for most of it but like i will be solely focused on that one person so Mm. i think that the setting definitely matters yeah i completely second that i think it depends on the field i think in an ideal situation there's also times i've heard like in team-based models where a PA might actually have more of the patient contact so that the specialist can do their specialty. So there's times where like, if you're in a surgical setting, the PA might spend a little more time in the clinic room with the patient hearing their concerns. The surgeon will likely still come in because they ultimately have the final say, they have the final expertise, but then maybe the surgeon can spend more of their time in the OR. So I think because of the way things are structured, sometimes PAs have the benefit of getting more of that time. But I think also sometimes it's not at the doctor's expense. It's actually so that it's more of like a symbiotic relationship. It totally depends on the field. I've also heard of times where like a PA gets half an hour and a doctor gets 20 minutes and maybe there's not a full justification for that that benefit. But I do think ideally they're both providing great care. But since doctors have that extra weight of specialty and responsibility, there are probably times where their brain's just even a little more full or their schedule's a little more full. And I think that probably can impact too. Do you feel like you were especially naive coming into this? Oh, yes. (laughs) Especially as like first gen in med. I think there's so many parts of the process that you're you kind of know of. You've listened to podcasts. You've looked into everything. You follow the med influencers. You get a glimpse. But there's so many parts of the process that you don't know about. And there's also the rhetoric that like applying to medical school is the hardest thing. We talked about this a while ago, but applying to medical school is like the hardest part. It's getting in. And that's an absolute lie. Like it's difficult, but it's a different kind of difficult. So I think I came in thinking like, I know how to do this. I know how to do school. And then you're like, this is not just school. This is school on so many steroids. Like it's a different beast. (laughs) The getting in process is so gamified and you see the charts of like how many people like first enter college is like pre whatever major and like how many people drop that major after like bio and then chem, etc. I think like before I got in, I feel like I wanted to be a doctor, but my focus was like getting into med school, not like being a medical student. And then I think I do feel that you could like, or at least I felt I like had to put my whole life on hold. I did feel that there was like so little time for like pursuing my hobbies for a moment in time. And again, like, I don't think that's true. I think that's just like kind of what being in this space like does to you. And like these things that we're talking about, how like there's like an emphasis on scores and there's like the next step, et cetera. Um, yeah, I don't think I was lied to. It's just like how you can't conceive what a billion dollars looks like. Like I couldn't conceive what it was like to spend all my time like studying and trying to like pass like for some like rotations like barely passing like putting in all that work and barely passing or like sometimes the work paid off a lot and sometimes it barely paid off so yeah yeah i I, not having gone through it myself but just being adjacent to y'all i feel like there's really no way to fully prepare for this it's like so many things in life you can't fully prepare for childbirth you can't fully prepare for uh, med school and you can't fully prepare for getting old it just is what it is and you'll find out when you get there and I think, yeah, so it's always going to be hard. You're going to read about it. They're going to say it's hard. You're like, cool, I got that. But what your flavor of hard 
looks like is also going to depend. I went through a breakup that one year. That sucked. Doing that on top of COVID. That sucked. That's completely like my own like take or like because life goes on. Yeah. While oh, you're totally. in medical school. Totally. Or like just knowing that all these other things like during dedicated i uh, like knowing that i have to like think about the next thing getting ready for residency like that was really hard just like the soul crushing like seeing other people have fun while i'm studying because it does take me longer to get through the same amount of material and feel the same level of confidence like no one no one says that would be the worst for me if it was it's hard it's hard because like like i have friends that finish exams in half the time and i'm there the whole time and it's like dang like you're still gonna get a better score and that's just like innately these are all these challenges and that you face because this process is so multi-dimensional and just like oh a weird process (laughs) i resonate with the idea of different types of hard i think life can be hard in so many different ways. School can be hard in different ways. For PA school, most schools require one to 2,000 hours of patient care. And some, which is a lot. Which is a lot. For some, it's usually in an entry-level position. Some people have an advanced degree. They're already a nurse or they're already a dietitian or something. But I spent one year working as a nursing assistant and the following year working as a medical assistant. And I actually feel like my definition of hard was greatly shifted <laughs> by those roles. I think student hard started to feel less hard for me simply because working as a nursing assistant doing a double which is a 16-hour shift you're doing brief changes you're doing transfers i worked in dementia care so it was particularly challenging with some of our residents just to make sure that they were doing okay and feeling taken care of and just the respect i have for that profession and the idea that i could have stayed in that job and done that for the next 30 40 years and for me that actually would have been a lot harder than studying a lot so i'm not trying to minimize our student hard by any means but i do think that different life experiences can sort of build that resilience. And so I think when I have a tough day of studying, it's a little easier for me to take a step back and be like, okay, I'd still probably rather do this than a brief change right now. <laughs> Again, not at all to minimize it, but I think just the more you live, and I'm sure the M3s, M4s, residents could could say even more down the line. I think just the more you experience, it allows you to give yourself a little more grace too. So when you do have a bad exam score or a bad day of studying, you kind of see the bigger picture a little bit more quickly. I like the point you made of just like contrasting different situations. Like I also was a CNA patient care tech and like that was challenging. I worked two 16s back to back and that's a different type of hard. Like when you have 10 patients all heavy, all up requiring multiple people to do the cares that they require, super tough. But that's a different type of hard than like studying 10, 12 hours a day or even whatever you can. And then like it looks different, like, you know. When I'm on rotations, like, man, I got two admits I got to do. Like, I got, like, five notes I got to write, and I still got a round. Like, that's challenging, but it's challenging in different ways. Like, I go home now, it's like, man, I'm so mentally drained. But, like, I didn't study all day. All I did was work. Like, that's not, I should feel like I have more energy. I don't know. It's. But I like the point you made. Yeah. Before med school, the hardest thing that I had done was research and troubleshooting that. And there's... As much as the people at all of the different companies are great about like, hey, your kit doesn't work. I don't know what's going on. And they can help you troubleshoot that. And there's resources online and there's people in the field who are far more experienced than you that can help that. There's no answer. Like sometimes science just doesn't work and you just need to keep going at it and trying to get it to work. But changing it to school, like there there are correct answers there. You do know how to study. You do know how to do it. You just it's executing it and it's no longer and then once you get to residency, there are fewer correct answers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's the different types of heart. And I think a lot of us 
when we get those like exam score reports back, we think, or at least I specifically think, that you see that somebody got 100 on every test. And you're like, all right, that's the same. That's that one guy that's getting the 100 every time. And there's so many people that are like killing it in every single aspect. And it's reframing that like, okay, the person that got 100 on the anatomy test probably also isn't pulling 100s in MOHD and CAPS and MASS. Like, they're great in that area, but they're also, I got to see my friends a lot this week. So that's, mm-hmm. they probably didn't get to do that. Or I got to cook and enjoy that and have like a couple hours off and they probably didn't. So it's reframing that success, I think is really important and detaching your self-identity from the scores that you get. Is there a person that you can point to who changed how you think about medicine? Kate DeSherry. Oh, <laughs> go Quality girl. answer. Quality answer. Hey, DeSherry. That's uh, our writing okay. and humanities program director, my my boss, my coworker, my beloved. An friend. icon. Yes. My queen. Yeah. Well, okay. So, Kate, for those of you who are not carbocology medicine students, does a lot of classes that focus on the humanities in medicine. And the reason that I wanted to come to be a doctor was like very much less about the science and very much more about helping people. But more than that, talking to people, hearing patient stories, sitting in a room with people who are extraordinarily vulnerable, and then like fixing their problems, essentially. I think the humanities curriculum at Carver and the classes that Kate teaches like really helped me find that again and helped me like remember why I like love the patient narrative and like reminded me of like all these different parts of medicine that don't exist in the diagnostic pathways and like all that which is also important but yeah i I think that having that part of our curriculum was very important throughout the first three at least three years that i've been here i can give a shout out to my early clinical experience preceptor for the semester jennifer jung and she's a physician assistant in orthopedics here at the hospital she is one of those folks i mentioned earlier who just engages her patients so well and with such just kindness and humanity and who's been at it for I don't know the exact number of years but more than a handful and just is such a fantastic role model for me of like okay you don't have to be burnt out just because you've been at it for 10 15 20 years it's possible to still maintain that energy and I've seen that in a number of people that I've shadowed or had as a preceptor by now but I think each person that I see still touches me and inspires me and gives me a little bit of hope for my future and the future of the profession so I would say after shadowing a whole variety of people, she's one of the people that helped shift my perspective in the direction of this is still a great field to go into. There's fantastic people out there like her who you'll get to work with and learn from. And it's still a good place to be despite the hard days sometimes. Cool. All right. Well, I should have written a transition. <laughs> I'll figure something out. <laughs> Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. I need to visit the financial aid office because our episode today is sponsored by Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built by doctors for doctors. Panacea Financial is designed for medical students and residents as it was founded by two doctors that were financially frustrated during their training. Thousands of doctors have used their PR and personal loan to avoid credit cards and use a better way to cover expenses for residency relocation or other life expenses. Panacea's PR and personal loan does not require a cosigner, has no minimum credit score requirement, and has interest rates starting at half that of a typical credit card. They also offer a period of no or reduced payments on their PR and personal loan. So go to panaceafinancial.com slash match day 
To learn more about Panacea and get other helpful information on Match Day, Residency Transition, and enter their $500 giveaway to those starting residency this year. PanaceaFinancial.com slash Match Day. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. Thanks, Panacea Financial, for the support. Let's get back to the podcast. Listener Kathy has reached out to us at theshortcoats at gmail.com to see if we can help her with some feedback that she's getting about her medical school plans. Let's hear from Kathy. How can I possibly know if becoming a doctor will provide me with what I so terribly desire in terms of job satisfaction? A great sense of helping people who need me to help them with good health practices to manage or prevent chronic health conditions. I have at least 25 physician friends who have begged me not to go down this very hard and difficult road, telling me I will be so terribly disappointed in the insurance bureaucracy, hospital administration politics, etc. But honestly, I don't know any different. For the first 25 years of my professional career I have had to call insurance companies every single day to find out about coverage, and I have had to answer to hospital administration every single day in various capacities, so what am I not thinking of? I should say that, I should have said that Kathy is a registered dietitian nutritionist, so that's what she's been doing, I guess, for 25 years. Any, any thoughts about Kathy's dilemma? Honestly, shout out for Kathy. Shout out to Kathy for even like knowing these things before coming to med school because I like did not know any of that's that. I did not like know this until I experienced it in like my core rotations, all these things she's talking about, like all the bureaucracy and the red tape and like the things you want to do and can't do. I just really wanted to say, I just, I don't think that like if the career that she describes sounds like a career in healthcare, like helping people directly, like managing chronic illnesses, etc. I don't think any career in healthcare is like removed from that. I don't think that like, you know, MDs, DOs, PAs, NPs, dietitians, like social work, I think they're all like caught up in this. So I'm sure there's other careers outside of healthcare that can like avoid this struggle, but I, I don't know if there's any career in healthcare that like she's not thinking of that would be able to not have to think about these things. Yeah, definitely agree. I also had to experience these kind of like insurance nightmares, for lack of a better word. What does that mean? What? So I think I understand. I think I understand what it means when you say insurance nightmares. Like I have this idea, but from your perspective as a fourth-year student, what does that mean? Well, from my perspective as a third-year student, <laughs> you know. I am not very good at details. <laughs> okay, go ahead. But you're a great host. Thank you. You know, so like, let's say Mr. Dave, he is walking and he fell. He comes to my clinic and I want to do XYZ diagnostic test, whatever. And you have insurance and your insurance like, hold up, wait a minute. Something ain't right. You didn't do all the QRS things that you need to do. And I was like, but this is like empirically evidence-based what I should be doing. I know my patient. I know what I'm seeing yada 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 well then I gotta like call the insurance company and be like hey peer and when they said so there's an interaction that happens in an in insurance company it's called peer-to-peer -peer interactions it's when you call like another provider who works for the insurance company and you essentially explain your situation and see if like that peer of like equal level of training would be like oh that makes sense I can see why you do it and then they can authorize reimbursement and coverage of whatever treatment or diagnostic measure. So in my case, I saw a lot of things that worked, but like I've had preceptors tell me like, I know what bullshit 
bullshit I have to tell them to get them to pay for what I need to like what I think my patient needs. But so often, have, just like with everything else in medicine, it's a dance. You know, maybe it's like a, it's a, dance. a script that you might be able to. Yeah, drop and on and, and then yet they still might not reimburse the patient for whatever diagnostic or therapeutic measure that I believe is in their best interest, and I think that's an absolute nonsense. Now this isn't what I think. This is about is it Kathy's question? Yes. So you have much more experience than probably most of us, if not most medical students have, which is phenomenal. What would prepare you better or what what do you not know? I mean, you're still going to have to deal with it. It's the level to which you deal with it. So as you take on more responsibility, you're likely going to have to engage with it more depending on your practice area. It depends on what you're going to do. So, you know, if you're just doing basic primary care, you might have not as much as, say, like a comprehensive cancer specialist who wants to order hundreds of thousands of dollar medications that might not get reimbursed. So that's a long winded way of saying I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I will say, I think, okay, I think, first of all, cosign all of that, but the, I think there are ways that you can like in the very end, create your practice where you don't have to deal with it. Like if you work in an academic institution of really any kind, like at least like where I'm at right now and also mostly in Iowa, the residents will do all that for you. Like what, what we're talking about, like peer to peer. So like the residents do all the callbacks, they manage all the insurance things in like private practice situations, like plus or minus, you could like get like people to work with you like that might be able to do that like sometimes MAs are able to do like some of the insurance stuff um yeah so like you could like attempt to build a practice that would allow you to not have to worry about these things but to some level like you'll be either like overseeing it or like doing it directly but you could conceivably bring, build a practice where you don't have to be the peer on the peer-to-peer line like you could have residents working with you or like other healthcare providers that may be able to fulfill that role i think the i the more interesting question to me was the hospital politics warning that she was that it's somehow worse than the politics you might experience yeah. in any so let me give you an example of job. yeah i guess the example that i give you is like in private practice so you can like graduate residency and then like you're looking for a job and some of these jobs will like put like in their like sign-ons like when you sign on with them they'll say like you have to do 40 biopsies a half day like that is like the rule for this practice so this clinic will tell you that this is like what is expected from you as a provider and they're legally allowed to do that and so what does that mean if you have to do 40 biopsies do you really think there's going to be 40 moles that you think might be cancerous when in that half day i mean probably not so like now you as a healthcare provider who is just like looking for a job finds a job and now the job this red tape tells you have to essentially practice like unethical medicine and it's not just dermatology so like like there's clinics that do this for everything that like you could say that like a certain amount of people need to receive this kind of medication or you could practice in the opposite way where there's like things like capitans for private primary care providers which means that like you get this amount of money to serve all of your patients so now you have to practice like and you don't want to do this because you want to like help everybody the best way you can help everybody and instead you're in a system where they're like oh we only have this much money so you know maybe your patient that needs a dexa can't get the dexa maybe your patient that like you would have loved to get an mri on can no longer get an mri because you've already like spent some of that money on somebody else so like it's all i mean like the this like hospital administrative stuff i've seen it's all related to like financials maybe there's other things also and i'm sure there is like i know there's like policies on like how many mas you can have per patient or like how many nurses you can have for a floor like that's its own thing but i think the thing that is like already so frustrating to me is this like financial stuff that it just like doesn't have to be like that and because we don't have a this is like up in the weeds so because we have a better healthier system we're stuck to operate in these like suboptimal conditions and like we don't want to be a part of that we would prefer to just like treat patients and give like quality care to everybody but because of these like limits imposed on us we have to practice I, i wonder if the other aspect of the politics question has to do with being sort of 
the captain of the ship if you're a doctor and all that implies and i i don't mean to exclude my pa friends from captain of the ship but my impression is that it's the doctors who are sort of legally responsible for a lot of things so i imagine that causes sort of political issues all on its own as well as if you do rise to, or wish to rise to the level of being the division education officer if you're at an academic institution then that's a whole nother can of worms politically that you have to deal with if you ever become a dean i can only imagine the horror that I would never want that. So some of it is stuff that you can avoid if you want to. But I imagine that's part of it, too. It's just like the organizational sort of being being part of a group of people. <laughs> I don't think you're going to avoid that sort of thing. Yeah, I think the, what the physicians may have also been referring to is that they you have an idea of how you want to practice medicine and medicine can be everything from like nursing to dietitian to being a PA NP what may have you but the I think what they're trying to get at is you are largely going to be confined by something that doesn't care about you nor the patient they care about money and you have no say most of the time or if you do it's very minimal in power of how you can change outcomes in the ways that you think are best for your patients. I think that is like a large part of the bureaucracy that they're referring to. Yeah, even dealing with personnel issues and things like that, that you kind of didn't really think of as being a part of medicine, but which turns out to be like, if you're a department head and you want to hire somebody and somebody says, oh, no, you can't, we don't have enough money, or we think that the priorities should be elsewhere. All that kind of stuff is a drag, but... Well, I think, Dave, in some ways, if you zoom out a little bit, in what field are you not going to have personality conflicts, power hierarchies that can be frustrating, even if they sometimes need to exist, lack of resources? I think understaffing is a huge issue in most fields right now post-COVID. So I'm not trying to I think medicine has very specific inherent challenges that I think our M3, M4 <laughs> cohort has spoken to really nicely, much more than mm -hmm. I as a first year student ever could at this point in time. But I think she's been in the work, Kathy, I think has been in the workforce long enough. It she, seems like she's pretty familiar with some of these things. And so that alone probably wouldn't scare her away from pursuing a new route. I think the biggest thing that came to mind for me was just the cost benefit analysis of particularly an MD degree. I think the time and money commitment of doing your four years and then your residency, whatever field you go into, trying to make sure you pay off your loans, trying to save for retirement. I think that side of it came to mind for me because whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, wherever you're at in life, I think it's just a pretty big deal to kind of weigh that and decide like, will the joy I get out of this job or will the amount I contribute to my community be enough to make this worth it? Um, tiny little plug for unsolicited plug for the PA route that if you are more mid to late stage, it can actually be a little more feasible from like a cost time perspective. But if you want to specialize, you get you, to do a lot of the same things and you get to do There's a lot of overlap. If you want to be a specialist, if you want to go all the way and say, I want to be the best at my field, then MD is a fantastic path. But if you're like, well, I'd love to serve patients at a different level and have a lot of overlap and still a lot of autonomy. One of the reasons I chose PA is because I hope to also do some education work and do some other work. And I think there's, I just have a little more flexibility to start doing that earlier although anyone can of course do that as a as an md or an md phd as well yeah i have to say that when i was listening to when i was reading kathy's email I, the first thing i thought of was so at a minimum i suspect that kathy is 47 years old and that's based on bullshit basically but basically looking up how long would it take you to become a registered dietitian nutritionist and i 
I think the minimum amount of time you would have to spend doing that is two years. You get your BA, you get your registered dietitian, nutritionist. I figured it would about be about 47 to 50 years old at this point. We've had people go to the Carver College of Medicine who are around that age, and I'm sure they're doing great. But it definitely has to it definitely has to factor into why or what area you would want to go into, how long you want to spend doing that, how much money you want to spend, how much. I'm sure she's thought of all this, though. I think to answer her question about if everyone you know that's in where you want to be is saying that these are the worst parts of it and you're saying that's already part of my job, that is already part of my life, I can still do that. I think there's a lot to be said about trusting your instincts and your knowledge of what you are capable of. Yeah. And so from then on, it becomes like you were saying, it's is this route at this point in time the best for me? And maybe I'm just a forever student and signed up to do so much school that to me, like if that's what you want, do it. But I really like your point of what exactly do you want out of this? In what way do you want to serve people and how can you get there the fastest to maximize the benefits that you're going to provide in that role. My my other thought that I just had was I wonder if she, I wonder Kathy if you have reached out to people beyond the system that you're in that you've been working in. Now maybe you've worked in several systems, I don't know over over the 25 years and that seems even likely. Um but if you're just confining yourself to the system that you're in, maybe you're hearing from people who are frustrated with the system that they're in. Maybe there are better arrangements out there that you could, the people that you could, <sighs> words is hard. <laughs> maybe there are other people out there working in different setups that might have more encouraging things to say. Did I do good, Kelsey? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And I think to Faith's point, just um, Kathy already sounds very reflective and like you've had enough life experience and work experience. You're looking at this from such a different vantage point than those of us who are 21, 24. Each year of life gives us a lot more experience and evidence to base yeah. our decisions on. So I think your instincts and your ability to to weigh the evidence for yourself is probably a lot stronger than those of us who make this decision a lot early in our lives. So I think trusting that is is really powerful, too. I do. I feel like you got this, Kathy. I mean, I get what they're saying, but I feel like you know what you're on about. Go for it. We believe in you. We believe in you. You can do it. It's our show. Unless you guys got anything else you want to talk about. You want to spring a surprise topic on me today? That's How all. to fix our healthcare system. Go. Leave America. <laughs> I, oh. I mean... <laughs> We'll I, get didn't out. Say, I didn't say it was a good one. We'll I just said it was one. Son. Let's fix the system that we're in and not... Yeah, You're catching well. me on an optimistic day, but <laughs> let's fix the system that we're in instead of abandoning it. Seems like I should end the show here. I don't uh, know if it's optimistic to say let's go down with the ship, but that's, <laughs> that feels like the Let's sun. tinker with it yeah. while we're at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's our show. Ananya, Rick, Kelsey, Faith, thanks for being on the show with me today. Pleasure as always. And what kind of lazy doofus would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us part of your week? If you're new and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available. Like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dev... Uh, I'm... <laughs> 
<laughs> he is Dave Etler, and this is our show. Thanks. Saying, don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Words really are hard. Hi, short coats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.